0: Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. A departure from Ezekiel. We'll be back in a saddle next week. Came here yesterday to prepare this message because while we were gone, there was a split in the Calvary Chapel movement. And I have to address it rather than avoid any rumors. You need to hear from me because I know what happened, and why it happened. So we are having a departure um, to have a family-to-family meeting this morning. For those of you who are newer at Calvary, you're going to learn a little bit about our history. Some of you are very, very well aware because you're following this on the Internet. Some of it's good. Some of it's not. And it's my job this morning to sort out what is and what isn't. So that's where we're headed this morning. I've entitled the morning's message, What Really Happened, and more importantly, Why. Uh, this is not a Bible study, it is um, a pastor talking to his flock so that you can leave here this morning not confused. As if you haven't heard anything about this, trust me, you will. And um, I'm, I'm here just to set the record straight. Uh, so that you can know that this has not affected us in any way, shape, or form. And we will be back in Ezekiel next week. But so that you're aware of what has happened, there is a genuine split, and Calvary has gone in two different directions. And once you know that it would happen, when I'm going in Israel. I was talking to Chris yesterday, Quintana, He has already addressed it with his fellowship as many Calvary chapels around the country have already done with their fellowships what we're about to do with ours this morning. I'm a week behind because it hit the day we left. Not that I didn't see it coming, not that I didn't know it was happening. I knew for three years that this day would come. I was hoping that certain people would listen to some of our concerns about certain individuals Instead of uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt, their track record was clearly out there, their direction that they wanted to go in was clearly not the one laid down by Pastor Chuck uh, and the Calvary Chapel distinctives. Those fell on deaf ears and it's been three years and um, Pastor Chuck went to be with the Lord October 3rd, 2013, five days after my mom went to be with the Lord. And um, since then, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa has been fast forward, full speed ahead to change the direction and priorities of the Calvary Chapel movement. And I'm here this morning to give you the best I can. I'll share with you the letters that were sent out uh, as as this began to build into a crescendo. And it's simply my prayer that you'll leave here this morning with a, a clear understanding of what happened but also where we stand in all this. With that, just turn to Hebrews 12. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses, um, 12 to 15. Paul writing to the Hebrews says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight path for your feet. So what is lame is not dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Look diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. What has happened because of one man, Brian Broderson, has allowed a root of bitterness to take a part of his life. It's been there for many years, slowly growing, slowly growing, and I'll explain that as I go on this morning. But it led to what has taken place And I'll read his letter of resignation and his desire to start a new movement in just a bit. But to give you a little bit head start of where we're going, that's why I chose this scripture here. Uh, The danger of allowing any bitterness. And let's just start out with a real practical. I I went so long. I've never in my many years at Calvary Chapel of went longer than I went the first session this morning. Because there's just so much. And I tried to cut corners, and I found out that I really couldn't. But when it's 25 after 10, you have to quit. (laughs) I'm going to try to get... I'm very, very, very careful on what I'm sharing this morning. I made at least three phone calls last night to um, a former board member that was faithful to Chuck, who know without any doubt what is factual, what could be shared, what could not be shared, And um, I wanted to talk to this individual to make sure, and of course he knew exactly what I wanted to, and he was very, 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 very helpful. Uh, Because of um, my stand, Pastor Chris Quintana's stand on this, Chris has been recently removed from the web server of Calvary Chapel Coast Mesa. Did Chris sin? No. Did he cheat on his wife? No. Is he teaching false doctrine? No. But did he have conferences with people like Paul Smith and Roger Oakland? Yes. And for this reason, he has been removed as a Calvary Chapel on Calvary Chapel Coast Base's website. And this is what I mean about the bitterness that has arisen and power and pride that go along with it. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. For you newcomers, um, Calvary Chapel is really unique, and I want to spend just a little bit of time I'm going to abbreviate the history. We have a video called Venture of Faith. that if you're new and want to learn more about Calvary, I'm going to refer you to that this morning. Well, let me just say quickly, in the mid-60s, during the height of the hippie movement, Pastor Chuck took a small church of 25 people in Calvary, Costa Besa, and he began pastoring it. It thrived, it grew, they had to move. Then the Jesus movement hit. Chuck had absolutely nothing to do with hippies. He thought they should cut their hair, get a job, and that was his feeling about the whole hippie movement. <laughs> Kay, on the other hand, had a heart for, for the hippies, so they would go out, watch him, and pray for them. And the long story short with all of that was here was a man with, with no hair, he's bald, he wears a turtleneck, and um, he would sit on a stool, and he would teach the Bible simply. And he would have these young people come in, and many of them were. They, they just weren't out just doing drugs for the sake of doing drugs. They were actually looking for some meaning and some purpose. Is there truth? Or is it every man for his own? Is it really just, if it feels good, do it? Or is there purpose? Is there a meaning in life? And they began to sit and listen to the words of Jesus no flash. The last thing Chuck was was flashy. <laughs> and he would sit on a stool and teach the Bible. And, and they were just taking it in, going back and telling their friends, you got to check this out. Well, then the hippie groups that had bands began to get saved. Um, Chuck Gerard's going to be here for our Christmas concert. Well, Chuck was a leading member of uh, Love Song. Before that, he was actually famous. He was part of the group called the Hondells. The old timers, you'll remember the gear, Little Honda. First gear, it's all right. Second gear, hold on tight. Anybody else remember it besides me? Oh, okay, there's some old timers. Good, good, good. Well, he co wrote that song with Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson made the same song. So Chuck was pretty well known before he got saved. But when Love Song got saved, now, not with the Bible study, you had them coming in with this whole new repertoire of very heartfelt music of what Jesus has done in their life. And then it just exploded. Not just with, you know, the headlines of, of Look magazine was thousands being baptized at Pirate's Cove and it was making the front page. And It was a phenomena that i never experienced before. Uh, church historians will tell you it's the only genuine revival of our lifetime. There's revivals that happen all the time, but not to this magnitude. And what began to happen is what happened with the early church. Paul preached Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved, but they're from all over the country. What do you do with them? Well, they began to live communally. Guys like Barnabas sold his house and property so that there'd be enough money for, for, um, to take care of these people while they're getting rooted and grounded in Christ before sending him home. So what happened is, we had three houses in Southern California, House of Psalms, House of Miracles, can't remember the third one. But Pastor Chuck asked John Higgins to be involved in them. And uh, they outgrew them very, very quickly. And some land was offered to John up in Oregon. And um, long story short with that, that was the beginning of what we call Shiloh. Started in 1968. And it was a beautiful piece of land next to the Cascade Mountains outside of Dexter, Oregon, outside of Eugene. And it was nothing. And then it had apartments, complexes. It had a Bible school. It had a dining hall. And it was actually just a gorgeous place to be for people to get rooted and grounded and and go and be discipled. And from there were sent out teams across the country, that we had a Shiloh house in every state, including Alaska, Hawaii, and the Virgin Islands, that had Calvary Chapel houses. It was mixed. there were male and female. So if you have male and females, and they're in their 20s, there has to be rules. <laughs> and so rules they were. Were they overbearing rules? No. But they, they were rules. And basically, they were set up, now in those days, Um, many people, and I was one of them, who would simply put the thumb out on the road, and we'd go hitchhiking across the country. Does anybody know a good place to crash for the night? Well, the word was out. You find yourself a Shiloh house. You get a clean bed, a free meal, and all you have to do is listen to one of their Bible studies. And then you get on the road and go to the next Shiloh house, went to the next state, and you're set. You travel for years. Well, what happened was... From 68 to 78, 100,000 people came to know Jesus Christ because of these Shiloh houses. Many of the pastors that are in the Calvary Chapel ministry today, including myself, um, are a part of that system. Sometimes people ask me where I went to Bible school. I did, and I did go to the school out in Dexter, but that's not where I learned the Bible. I learned the Bible because every night after we got done with work, after we had our meal, we had a Bible study. And this went on night after night, year after year. And if you do that night after night and year after year, guess what? You get to know your Bible. But also people who are on the road to find out. Remember the old Cat Stevens song, On the Road to Find Out? There was a lot of people doing that. And all of a sudden they run across a whole house of people that are of like-mindedness. They really love each other. And they sit in and they hear our songs and they hear the studies, many of them got saved. All right, I can't dwell too long on that, except that was the early days and that lasted till 78. In 1978, culture was changing, the times were changing, people weren't hitchhiking anymore. Matter of fact, they considered it unsafe. I always picked up hitchhikers, but I don't anymore. These days, you just don't know what you're getting yourself into. And so, um, i not going to be careful here because part of me is somewhere between uh, Istanbul and um, Appleton, Wisconsin. <laughs> so you bear with me this morning. Okay, the change. We were getting older. Communal living wasn't the mode. We were getting older. People were getting married, so on and so forth. So we adjusted, but if there wasn't a Calvary, I, I, I gave Chuck a call, and I said, Chuck, even though we were already a part of Calvary, um, we didn't know what to do. And I said, I really feel called to to, uh, continue to do what we've always just done. And he said, well, do I? you know, I think Calvary Chapel of Appleton sounds pretty good to me. What do you think? And I said, "Uh, that sounds good, Chuck. Now, my point I'm making is in those days, if you wanted to become a Calvary, it was as easy of doing one or two things. Doing what I did because I had been in Shiloh, which was sent out by Chuck, by John. And um, it was that easy for me. And he said, we're having a conference and pastor's conference, come on out. So my first Calvary Chapel pastor's conference was 1979. And the only other way you could be at Calvary uh, would be to sit under Chuck for three years and go through the Bible with him. And if you would do that and you were called to ministry, well, he would determine whether he saw that calling on your life. And if he did, he would send you out. Well, that's the way it was done in the very, very early days. And these days we can't do that because we're second, third, and fourth generation. There's other people that want to associate with Calvary Chapel and affiliate, but we've got to make sure that they are in agreement with what we call the Calvary Chapel distinctives. And uh, we have, I'm not gonna, I went too long, this, i got to watch my time. I'm just going to tell you that we have a book in the library if it's not there, ask Mike or Betsy to order you the Calvary Chapel distinctives. It basically is a balance of who we are in our doctrine and um, what we hold to. And if you're in agreement with this and are like-minded, then fine, you're welcome. And uh, it was my job for when I was uh, the regional overseer of about four states here, and uh, somebody wanted to affiliate, well, I was a go-to guy, I would come in, I would talk to, to them, get to know him a little bit, and find out if he really was like minded. And if he was, that I'd give him the affiliation form, and eventually he was adopted, and we did it, did it that way for years. So things went along really good. That's 1979. In 1981, we had our first split. Uh, We have not had a split in Calvary Chapel since 1981, except when I was gone in Israel, and I'm making my way up to that. But I do want to lay some foundation. In 1981, there was a guy named John Wimber. Um, He was kind of well known in Hollywood. He used to write for the Righteous Brothers, so he was pretty well known. And um, he had a Calvary Chapel in Yorba Linda, but. there were miracles, we expected miracles in the early Jesus movement days. We would pray and we really expected the Lord to answer. Uh, and this is too good of a story not to tell. When we were in Shiloh, we would have oatmeal for breakfast, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. I have not eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich since I left Shiloh, and then whatever for supper. And um, so the girls were serving oatmeal for breakfast, but there was no milk. What do we do? Well, we pray. We ask God to send milk. So the girls got together. They prayed, Lord, we need milk. Amen. Knock at the door. It's a milkman. He says, you know, my milk truck just broke down right in front of your house. And he says, the freezers, the cooling system's out. It's all going to go to waste. Could you guys use some milk? Now, that's a true story. But it's just one of many that happen on a daily basis. We simply expected it. So God, again, working supernaturally, naturally, that's that, uh, what was happening. Well, because that was happening, a guy like John Wimber began to put the emphasis on the signs and the wonders that God was doing. And he was doing them. But he made that the priority instead of the teaching of the word. Now, this became a contention between Chuck and John Wimber. John Wimber, to me, is the ultimate absolute. Now, when I say that, do you understand what I'm saying? Absalom was David's son who wanted the throne. And he would sweet-talk people when David was busy and go, Hey, you know, if I was king, you'd have my ear. I'd be listening to you, and you'd be taken care of. But you know my dad, he's so busy, he doesn't have time for you guys. So by doing this, he won the hearts of the people. And uh, Wimber was doing the same thing. And so what inevitably it came down to was Chuck writing this letter that I've kept all these years, August 17, 1991. And Chuck is addressing the issue. It had to be nipped in the bud and he did not want it to be leaven that would enter the Calvary movement because that was not our emphasis. So I'm reading this sh- couple paragraphs from Chuck's letter. He said, it's been drawn to my attention that some of the pastors feel that I have been guilty of quenching the spirit of some of the Calvary chapels in their ministries. We want to assure you that we have no desire to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe the real power of the church is found in the Holy Spirit, working through the word of God in the lives of the believers in God. I do believe that, that if you have only the word of God working in the lives of the believers that, and that you are missing a, a without the Holy Spirit, that you're missing a vital ingredient. I also feel that if you have the Holy Spirit working in the believers without the Word of God, uh, that you also are missing an important ingredient. I feel it's important that we recognize that Calvary chapels are not another Pentecostal church. If you desire to emphasize the experience aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit, it would probably be well if you would seek an affiliation with a Pentecostal church Assembly of God, Four Square, Church of God, because they seem to have the more experience-orientated type of ministry where I believe Calvary Chapel have, has basically been established by God to fill the broad gap between the Baptist and the Pentecostal churches. We have the Spirit of God working, but the real emphasis is on the solid foundation of the Word of God, the basis through which the Spirit works as he confirms a word with signs following. But when you reverse the order where the experience and the signs become the primary thrust, then you are moving away towards the Pentecostal position, and you should seriously consider dropping your affiliation or relationship with Calvary Chapel especially dropping the use of the name of Calvary Chapel. We pray for each of you that God will guide you in your ministries and will continue his blessing upon your churches and upon our own walk and relationship with him. We would so look forward to the opportunity of being with you and be able to, to go to Israel. With us the first part of December, I believe that God has some marvelous blessings, rich blessings in store for each of us, yours and him, Pastor Chuck. This was the first split. 1981, it was over doctrinal issues. And then the next year at the conference, Chuck gave us this warning for guys that were in the middle wondering what to do. He says, guys, if you've been around as long as I have, you've seen it all. He says, there's nothing new under the sun, especially in the Pentecostal movement. He says, what goes around will eventually come around again. And now I'm seeing it happen. He says, if you take Wimber's, and by the way, John Wimber, was the the beginning of the vineyard movement. And it lasted, but it hasn't lasted till this day. There are still some out there, but they're very, very sparse. He said, if you do this, what you're going to have to do to keep your people is actually have one um, service, and the next one's going to have to be be a little bit more dynamic. If you're going to use that as your foundation to keep them, you're going to have to really have things going on. So it began with signs and wonders. Some of you old timers will remember the scenario of where this is going. And then what entered in was this whole thing where people were into inner healing, and you could have inner healing in your prayer services. And then there were services that it morphed into where uh, there were demon possession. And so there were services that were casting a demon out of everything and anybody. There was a spirit of nicotine And you could have the spirit of nicotine, and that needed to be cast out of you. And Chuck would say, there is no such thing as a spirit of nicotine. (laughs) But there is a thing called the lust of the flesh, and you like nicotine, and they're not the same. It morphed into what eventually became known with the Kansas City Prophets, with Paul Cain and Bob Jones. Mike Bickle is still going on with IHOP. It's all part of the Vineyard Movement. John Wimber uh, joined it. Uh, John John Wimber's no longer here he had died but before that the biggest one where it hit was in Toronto, Canada and maybe you've heard of the Toronto Blessing and this was part of a vineyard church it went worldwide um, when we were involved with the Gospel for Asia KP would actually have me go and teach on um, the truth about the Toronto Blessing because it was infecting the uh, The churches in India. And the Toronto Blessing, just to explain it quickly, was when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, um, you would break out maybe into uncontrollable laughter or maybe barking like a dog or rolling on the floor and basically saying, you know, the Spirit just made me do it. Well, that's not biblical. You know, the Bible says that the Spirit is subject to the prophets. What does that mean? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is subject to the prophets. In other words, I'm in control. If I wanted to right now, I could I could speak in tongues in front of everybody. I have the gift of tongues, but I'm in control. The Holy Spirit isn't forcing me to break out and speaking in tongues right now. And what they were saying that was not biblical is that, well, I just didn't have any control. It just... Happen. I just couldn't control myself. The spirit made me do it. It's like Flip Wilson saying, the devil made me do it. <laughs> well, it's not biblical, but it went worldwide. The latest one that uh, was current, even within the last 10 years, was the Bronze Rule Revival. This was also part of the Kansas City Prophets. And basically this was done, I think it was in Pensacola, Florida, and it affected a very good a church that was very, very well established for 25 years. They brought on a new pastor, took his staff down to Brownsville. They caught the fire, and they came back to Appleton and pretty much destroyed the foundation in a very, very short period of time. I met the guy, and I said, I'd give him a year. And he was gone within a year and pretty much destroyed the church because of the Brownsville revival. All that to say this. Um, Chuck said, that's not who we are, our emphasis is on, on teaching the word, and that was our first split in 1991. Now I need to fast forward to 1981, those who went the vineyard way, went the vineyard way, the rest of us, the term that we like to use is just stay the course, that which was laid down, and for many years, it was just such a joy, such a blessing, I so look forward to going to California Our conference center in Marietta Hot Springs is absolutely gorgeous. A good friend of mine named Carl Benz would get up with Chuck, and it's known for its hot springs. And when Chuck bought it, it was just trashed. I mean, it was just trashed. But he completely restored it and literally made it into this beautiful oasis with flowing ponds and streams and just a beautiful piece of property. And uh, things were just, you know, too good to be true. The fellowship, the love, and the koinonia that was there. But then back in 2012, something happened where this would have been a couple years before Chuck died. Three men had taken it upon themselves that they felt that Rick Warren and Mark Driscoll needed to be involved with the Calvary Chapel movement, even though especially Driscoll was reform, Calvinistic in his philosophy, and in no way, shape, or form are we. Now, for those of you who I spoke a little bit over your head and you don't understand it, let me put it really, really simple. Calvinism, especially in the five-point version, means that God has predestinated you. You've all been predestined. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell, and you really have no choice in the matter. And so a Calvinist, a five-point Calvinist, believes Uh, in predestination to that extreme. We do not. We believe that the Bible teaches, whosoever will, implying free will, let him come to me. For God so loved the world that whosoever. It's a choice. The gospel is presented. What are you going to do with it? The first time the gospel was presented, 3,000 believed, 3,000 didn't. So choices are made. Dave Hunt's book, Counteracting Calvinism, the title of his book is simply called, What Love Is This? If I have no choice in a matter that I'm a robot, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm predestined to do so. They forget this little word when they quote predestination. We have been predestined according to the foreknowledge of God. Well, what does that mean? It means there isn't anything that God doesn't know. And God knows before I know that I'm going to exercise my free will According to his foreknowledge, of course God knows everything, so He can predestinate us according to His foreknowledge, knowing what way my will is going to be exercised. Everybody with me? Okay. Simple enough interpretation of it. But there's books this thick you could read on what I've just said in a sentence. Anyway, um, something weird began to happen in 2012 at our conferences. Brian Broderick and Bob Coy and Greg Laurie would have panel discussions. And in the panel discussion, inevitably, who would come into the the conversation was Rick Warren and Mark Driscoll, almost without exception. And we really, you know, I was the guy that um, gave Pastor Chuck the book Deceived on Purpose, which is about Rick Warren. And um, it's a play on words and a purpose-driven life and a purpose-driven church. I told Chuck, this this book's going to cause division. No fans and buts about it, and I won't put it out unless you give me a green light. And he says, Dwight, the book's spot on. Go for it. And so I did. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I became marked by certain people because I was one of those that was not in agreement with Brian and Bob Coy, and Greg Laurie. Um, There were those that, being persuaded that we need to build bridges with these other organizations, Uh, The rationale was to be more fruitful, to broaden our horizons so more people could come into the kingdom. Chuck saw it quite differently. He saw it as a very, very dangerous leaven of Reformed theology entering into the Calvary Chapel movement, and he didn't want any part of it. So this continued for two years in a row, 2012. Then in 2013, we had our conference, and it was the last one that Chuck would be at. I, I knew it would be. And uh, it was at that time Chuck began to put together a team of men realizing that he had cancer, had a stroke. And so he assigned people that I believe that he trusted would carry on the Calvary Chapel distinctives. And there was about 19 of of them. Uh, They were to have no authority over any Calvary Chapel or over any regional leader because Chuck was adamant that every Calvary Chapel is independent, has its own board, that the pastor is accountable to the board, and I'm accountable to the Lord. And um, that's the way it, it is set up. And they're there only in an advisory type situation. My job as a regional leader was to help those who wanted to affiliate. And if there was a problem with a church and they asked for help from us, then we would give our advice, but that's all. And um, so what happened on October 3rd, 2013, is Chuck went home to be with the Lord. Like I said earlier, five days after my mom went to be with the Lord. And it all began where all this root of bitterness came in. It all manifested itself actually at Pastor Chuck's funeral. Um, His own brother Paul wasn't allowed to be there. When we were asked why... And who was behind this putting this on, we could not get a straight answer from anybody from the council. Uh, when pressed, uh, we finally found out that Brian was in complete control of who came, who spoke, and who he decided that he wanted on stage instead of family members was Rick Warren. And um, we couldn't believe it. We're watching it live stream. That's that's. That's Rick Warren. I'm sitting next to Don McClure. And what's he doing there anyway? And then they pipe in Mark Driscoll. And I said, I can't believe this. They're using Chuck's funeral as a platform to continue his Brian agenda to try to bring in these guys. And this is so inappropriate. It incensed me beyond what I can say. And that's when I wrote one of my, my first letters. Just how to... How much disdain I felt for this, as did many Calvary Chapel pastors across the country. All right, fast forward 2014. Now we have our first conference after Chuck has gone to be with the Lord. We always had it at the Bible College, but this year instead it's going to be at Costa Mesa. Well, sitting on the regional team, we wrote a letter and we said, we want to know why. Why is it being held at Costa Mesa rather than a beautiful facility we have 10 acres for the guys to wander around and fellowship and when, when what you have at Costa Mesa is pews in a parking lot, and that's about it. Why does it cost so much, and where's the money going? And that was addressed from the five of us here in the region, and um eventually got back with us. He said, well, we need to be patient right now we need to let the dust settle and Brian's offered us to have it at his place. Well, that's fine if you want to do that one time, but where's the money going? Well, none of the money's going to Costa Mesa. Um, it's going to, part of it's going to pay for Domicler's salary on CCA. And I thought, and that's a no-no because now we got a conflict of interest going on here uh, coming from Costa Mesa, and so it was only supposed to last one time. So Brian gets up at the end of the first year and says, Oh, this is great. So we're going to have it here again next year. Well, even the board were going, What are you saying, Brian? We haven't talked. And, but that's Brian. And um, uh, so f- for two years this happened. As we're continually asking questions, we want answers. We're told, Just give it time, just be patient and it's gonna level out and everything is gonna happen. Well, I was smart enough to see what was going on before and I thought you give Brian one more year and he's gonna, he's, he's full speed ahead changing the complete direction of the Calvary Chapel uh, movement. And um, so that was the second year and now we come to the third year and this brings us up to what happened this last September. Okay, this last September, uh, there was a senior pastor's conference, a very large one. It's been going on for many, many years in Seattle, Washington. And at the end of the conference, what they usually do is they have a Q&A. And that is where, and there were hundreds of Calvary senior pastors at this conference. And um, during the Q&A that came up, um, this question was posed about the need for change in the Calvary Chapel movement, and this was a question that was addressed to Brian Broderson, and I'm quoting directly. By the way, everything I'm sharing right here, you can go online, so these are no secrets. Um, Some of you are very aware of this already. Some of you really have no clue, Uh, but this is a direct quote of... um, of what Brian said with the question. He says, I want to talk to you guys that are my age and Wayne's age and maybe even a little bit younger uh, in our, our, you know, our context of Calvary Chapel. You know what I began to see, and you know a little bit about the younger guys and how you now know in the context of Calvary Chapel. You know what I'm beginning to see, you know, you know that for the last 10 years of Pastor Chuck's life and ministry, probably almost every sermon on Sunday was a serious doom and gloom message. It was basically the world's going to hell, but the Lord's uh, so. But the Lord's coming, so just uh, no buckle your seatbelt, hold on, and we're all going to be out of here. And so once a month. Ryan right, is saying, I would get up and preach. So Chuck preached for three, and then once a month, I would get up and literally get up and try to counter what was happening for the three other weeks because I could just see the look at the congregation. And you know, month by month by month, the heads got whiter and whiter and whiter, and we were just using, losing the younger generations to where we came to this end. I mean, it was hard to finish to find a dark-haired person in the congregation. And what had happened is, you know, Chuck was so convinced about the rapture in his time, and he was so frustrated with the direction of the world that he just couldn't see any other direction. Uh, There there we got to be out of here, but the younger generation sat there. They were like, well, what, what does that mean for us? And I had a number of kids that would would say to me, thank you for your message today because it gave me hope. And there's actually something that we could do for God. Because what they were getting every week, uh, if you can't do anything for God because the world's going to hell and the rapture's coming, and we did it all for God already, meaning the Jesus movement, so don't worry about it. Um, just hold on and we're all going to get out of here. And this drove the kids out of the church, seriously. And look, I believe in the rapture. I believe in the second coming. But I think all of us should have learned by now that none of us knows when that's going to happen. And if you get up every week, we're constantly banging the drum of, you know, Ezekiel 38 and all that stuff, that you indirectly are sending a message to the younger people that there's nothing left for you to do It's all been done, so just hold on tight. The rapture's coming, and you know, my experience is that they don't want to hear that. They want to hear what we can do something for God just like you guys did. Our generation can do something. There's a world to reach. There are people to touch. There are missions to be accomplished. There are churches to be planted. So I'm um, really, you know, kind of challenging you guys if you're beating the prophecy drum just tone it down because you don't know so like rick warren who despises bible prophecy he's asking us to tone down talking about prophetic things the other issues that brian addressed here is we need to get away from teaching the whole counsel of god He said that the whole counsel of God can be accomplished simply by teaching the New Testament. Now, where he's getting this stuff, I have no idea. I think he's pulling it out of thin air and making it up as he goes. The other question was related to that of women in the pulpit. And uh, when that question was addressed, he says, I believe women should be preaching from the pulpit. In talking to a, a board member, he believes that Cheryl was ordained last year. And uh, Sarah Yardley over in Europe, along with Cheryl, are openly speaking to mixed audiences. And um, what happened just this week with a very, very popular Calvary Chapel pastor who has a daily program on K-Wave, I think his name is John Randall, he gave a message that was a biblical message on women in the pulpit. And when he was done with his program, he got a phone call and he was informed that he would no longer have a program on K-Wave. And um, this is the power that Brian now is wielding. If you don't agree with his teaching, this is what happens. And so he was removed. So this is really what we knew, what I felt was eventually going to happen, but it forced the hand now of the regional guys um, or the council guys to actually make a statement, so this that was September. this letter is dated October second, and I learned from the first service i can 't read the whole thing, and um, i 'm going to make sure I got to call the board member again, make sure I can release these letters, but I hope to, so that you 'll be able to read them for themselves but i 'm going to summarize here, but this is in response because there was so much that went viral after Brian made these statements and his open animosity against Pastor Chuck and the reason I've called this a root of bitterness, I need to fill in a blank just a little bit here. The root of bitterness that came into Brian's life is for this reason. Brian was in England and um, pastoring a church there. And Chuck is a grandfather, and he has grandkids. Now, what happens when a grandfather doesn't get to see his grandkids? He misses them. So, you know, it was his heart probably that got in the way of clear thinking. Chuck's human. And he said, Brian, tell you what, if you come back, I'll bring you on staff here at Costa Mesa when I retire. You, you can, I'll turn it over to you. And I get to see my grandkids. And that's the real motive. And so that was, that happened. And um, it became apparent after um, when, whenever Brian would teach, and they know Brian was teaching, that very few people actually showed up. So the board got a hold of Chuck, and they said, Chuck, Brian is not your replacement. We won't go along with it. And so what happened was they brought down John Corson, a very popular, gifted, solid Bible teacher. And he was there for a while, but after a while, the board got together. Again, I just talked to this board member last night. I wanted to get my facts straight. So I know what I'm saying is accurate and true. And uh, it was over a period of time to say, no, John's not the guy. So they asked Don McClure to leave his church in San Jose, bring him down. Don was there for a season of time. After a season of time, the board says, "Nope, it's not Don either. Now imagine you're Brian Broderson, and you've been promised the position after Chuck retires. You see John come down with the clear intent that he would be the one. Then you see Don come down, and um, you're watching this take place. And I mean if I'm a human being, there's, and I'm watching this happen, a root of bitterness begins to grow. The last one to come in was Skip Heidsick, and Skip was down there for a season, and the board decided, no, it's not Skip either, so Skip ends up needing to go back to Albuquerque. Now, while all this has happened, Chuck has a stroke, and he also gets cancer, and he sees that uh, he needs to put some things in order and Brian's still on staff with certain uh, responsibilities. But this root of bitterness and why it's there, that's probably the main reason for it. And um, it has grown, and Brian just cannot contain himself. When it gets into talking about Chuck, the very first thing that he did when uh, he became pastor of Calvert Chapel Costa Mesa He contacted Christianity Today. And there's an article that you can go online and get. It's called, The Need for Change at Calvary Chapel. And half of the article is the importance that we have to change or we're going to die. But then the rest of the article is about him throwing Chuck underneath the bus in a very, very derogatory way. So he's very, very outspoken about it. Well, this made the board, now the, the board is forced to respond to Brian's comments in Seattle. And basically, um, the the summation of this letter, it starts out recently, a group of Calvary Chapel council members gathered in the Pocombo Mountains in Pennsylvania for a few days, and basically, they were there to reaffirm that they were not Associated with Acts 29, which was Mark Disco's group, the Gospel Coalition, uh, which is Alistair Begg's group, the Vineyard and Hillsong uh, groups that are clearly way out in left field. And they wanted to reassure us that um, they are not part of that, that they're going to stay the course. And um, if, if, like Chuck's letter, if you feel that that's where you need to go, then so be it, Uh, go that direction. And then he said, we'll speak about these other issues November of 2017. When I read that, I said, are you kidding? You're going to let that much time go by while Brian's full speed ahead with, with, his, with the, the changes that he's planning uh, to make. So it pretty much ends with see you next year. And then it's signed by 14, and I'll name the names, Jeff Johns, Jeff, uh, Joe Foch, Jeff Johnson, Lloyd Pulley, David Gusick, Sandy Adams, Bill Stonebreaker, David Rosales, Don McClure, Mike McIntosh, Reese, uh, Damian, Kyle, Malcolm Wild, Wayne Taylor, and Jack Hibbs. Wayne Taylor's name has just been dropped. He was the one who put on this conference in Seattle. There's 19 men on the board. Only 14 of them signed the letter. We have a letter in process that's been sent out with uh, three questions and the most important one was why is there only 14 and why didn't the other 5 or 6 guys sign the letter is it meaning they didn't sign it because they're in agreement with Brian and please clarify and let us know and so um, there is a handful of us that uh, are in the process of doing that now in response to that letter the war begins to intensify of, and I'm leading up to why there's a split Brian responds basically this way. There's two bi- websites. There's calvarychapel.com, that's in Costa Mesa. And there's Calvary Chapel Association. There are two different entities. Everybody with me with that? All right. Now Brian here is sending out an email encouraging people to, if they want to be on uh, calvarychapel.com, and recognized as a Calvary Chapel that they need to send all their information um, to uh, calvarychapel.com. He he said you have recently received an email instruction about updating your church information and new affiliation with Calvary Chapel Association. Uh, There have been some confusion over this instruction because it did not address updates to the church locator at calvarychapel.com. And here's where the the battle begins. Brian wants the Calvary's to go with him, and uh, CCA wants the others not to have any part of the direction that Brian is going in. So that's letter number three, dated the day we left for Israel, November 2nd. So this is hitting the fan as we're leaving the country. Um, letter number four is from Ryan Brodersen. And now the gloves are off. And basically, now that he realizes that um, it's time to pull the trigger, he pulls it, and he begins by saying, can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? The answer is no. And then he says, over the past three years, they've made this attempt to make it work. Uh, for some in the group, there has always been a question of whether or not this is even possible. All of us grew up under Chuck, and yet we're completely independent. And um, um, he goes on to explain that doctrinally we're in agreement, Brian. There's no way, shape, or form we're in agreement with with um, your philosophy of ministry and the direction you're you're going in. But the clincher of this one is this is where. He makes a split. He said, "As for this reason, I've decided to resign my position as a member of the Calvert Chapel Council. I do not believe that this is the best way forward for all of us." And he go on. He goes on to explain that even though he's resigning, he is going to continue to have um, Calvert Chapel Costa Mesa conferences, just like they had had for the last two years, and. Um, he now calls it the calvarychapel.com global network. And so he's his own entity. And um, the tug of war, the line has been drawn, which has forced, of course, now the council to respond to that. And this is the last letter uh, that I'll address. And um, in it, let's see where you really refer to uh, Brian. Before we he went to be with Jesus, Pastor Chuck made it clear he wanted Calvary Chapel movement to be led by a collaboration of men working together. The CCA Council was formed by our pastor to carry out that vision. Last week Brian Broderson resigned from the council. We are grieved by his decision and its ramification for our movement. I can't begin to tell you the ramifications. When I was in Israel I ran into a friend who was one of our guides. And I tapped him on his shoulder. He was Dwight. <laughs> and he says, let's find a corner. Now, he's a Messianic believer, and uh, we're good friends. And when we sat down, he says, Dwight, I read your letter. Because he's been following this. He's, Amy, he's read your letter. And he's very, very well informed of what's out on the Internet today. And he says, can you fill in the gaps? I said, I told my friend I'm in Israel um, and I'm trying to keep up the best we can. Um, Here we are in Israel with everything that's taking place back home. But then he told me this. He said, I got a phone call from Jeff Johnson. And I said, really? Now, Jeff is one of the leaders in the CCA movement. I said, well, what did he have to say? And he said, I asked him, what are you guys going to do? And this is what Jeff said, we don't know. That's probably one of the honest answers that are going on right now. They really don't know what to do. And um, the the chances of me running into him, the chances for me to have this conversation with him and the, the probability factors that I would have, even the little bit of information what they're thinking right now, clearly to me was the Lord. And um, I have a little bit of doubt about that. So when it says here, and the ramifications that follow, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who is now currently the overseer for the state of Indiana. He said he was heading into a meeting to address the split that just took place. And he says, Dwight, before I go into this meeting, I I really want your opinion and I want your advice on what's going on. He says, you've been involved with this and talking about this, warning about this for years. Now what's happened? And before I go into this, I at least want your two cents worth. And I said, I'll give you a whole nickel. <laughs> and he's a friend and I trust him. And um, we bunked together for years at the pre-trib conference down in Dallas and, and I helped my friend get a prophecy conference started in Indiana. Well, this letter here is, um, again, um, a reinstatement that we are not in a line with Brian, Brian. That as of right now, there are two Calvary chapels. And uh, Brian is doing everything in his power to um, schmooze. Is that the right word? A schmoozer. Right. Am I saying it right? right? If you're a schmoozer. Is it schmoozer? Huh? I'm saying it wrong, ain't I? No, is it a schmoozer? Okay, when you get schmoozed, a schmoozer. <laughs> Listen, the ultimate schmoozer is Brian Broderson. And he can schmooze like nobody's business. And he's in the process of doing, doing that right now. Is it uh, a gift from the Lord? No, it's a gift of the flesh. Is there a root of bitterness that has entered in? Absolutely. Is it rising up and defiling many and causing confusion? Yes. My first order of business of being back in the pulpit, even though I'm not 100% in the saddle, body, mind, and spirit, the Lord has put this on my heart so that at least you would know when you hear it, you, if you haven't heard it yet, you will, and it's only going to escalate that you've heard it here, that um, these are the things that are behind what's going on, but I want you to know the reason why. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Um, again, I, I really went way too long in the first service. And there's no way that I'm even scratching the surface on what's out there. As long as Amy's sitting out there. Um, oh, Amy, help me. The um, Berean search? Berean research? Okay, Amy's uh website is Berean Research and it'll be very very helpful you might want to write that down Um, and if you're in Acts chapter 20 uh, let me draw your attention to verse 25 and in verse 29 it says for I know this that after my departure and I'm I'm thinking this is so, so pertinent and so relevant because of the timing of this and what Paul saw and his concern. Many of us saw from day one after Pastor Chuck died where Brian was going. He says, For I know that after my departure, savage wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years that I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was well aware, and when when people talked to Chuck, he just said, "You know, after this is over, it's going to be a rough ride." And he knew Brian, and he knew that Brian would do exactly what he would do. It was only a matter of time, but the matter. Uh, the the fact that it's been three years now, and when we would press the council for straight answers and we weren't getting straight answers, the pat line was, we just need time. If you just give us time, our response to that is, while you're asking to give us time, Brian is going full speed ahead, changing the course and the very fabric of the Calvary Chapel movement. And it's proved out that when it finally came to a point where he couldn't just help himself, he had to He had to smash Chuck one last time. By, can you imagine? <laughs> Here's one of the greatest Bible teachers of all time. And to say that for the past 10 years has been the same study over and over again. No. Wherever Chuck is teaching through the Bible, he's in another chapter the next week. It's crazy. And so for him to say that is like, pulling it out of thin air and making it up as he goes. It would be like saying, well, all you guys do at pa- Calvary Chapel is to teach Bible prophecy. No, I'm, I challenge you just go online. All of our studies are archived, and we're in this chapter this week, and we're in the next chapter the next week. And the amazing thing is that so much of the Bible is about prophecy. You have to deal with Bible prophecy. It's just that, it's just that simple. But to take it in and want to build bridges with uh, Drisco and Rick Warren and the likes, to have women now teaching in the pulpit, and if you dare on K Wave, which Calvert Chapel of uh, Costa Mesa owns, and um, somebody teaches that women shouldn't be in the pulpit, what does Brian do? He removes them, just takes them off. Uh, this, my friends, ought not to be. And yet, these, this is the reality of it. And um, I, wa- I wanted you to hear it from me. And so, well, what does all that have to do with Calvary Chapel of Appleton? Uh, no, nothing, really. <laughs> because next Sunday, we're back in Ezekiel. And uh, I think we left off in chapter 14. And then we'll go through our Wednesday night study, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. And then we'll have our Sunday morning study to highlight Um, events from that text and eventually we're going to be through with Ezekiel and then guess what we're going to be in Daniel (laughs) and then guess what then we're going to be in the Minor Prophets then guess what then we're going to go through the New Testament then guess what we're going to go back to the book of Genesis and do it all over again because that's the model that's been laid down and my Bible says, if if you do that and you teach the Word of God simply, that the Holy Spirit is more than able to minister it to your heart, and um, the book of Ezekiel uh, is just as pertinent and meaningful as the book of Romans in the New Testament. And um, to, to say, have Brian Broderson say, all you have to do is teach through the New Testament and you're teaching the whole counsel of God. Brian, you're pulling that out of thin air. That is, that is not true. But he says, well, if, you ha- if you're going to reach the millennials, that's how you have to do it. Well, that's ludicrous. Chuck had nothing to do with the cultural relevance of his day. Chuck was Chuck. He wore a turtleneck. He was bald. (laughs) But what he would simply do was love on these hippies and teach them the word of God. And the Lord took care of the rest. Now there's 1,600 of us. And there has, because of a root of bitterness, grown up, caused division. And division is caused by one person who's responsible for this, and it's Brian Broderson. And there's those that are on his payroll. He's sitting on hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of assets worldwide. And um, i got to watch my tongue here because I'm upset with um, what has happened. And, um, I know, and I know Chuck knew and saw this coming ahead of time. But for our family here, I'm way past our time Actually, the Packer game isn't on until 7.30, right? Right? I mean, I could really get carried away here. Oh, you can be glad I'm not feeling well. <laughs> no. In closing, you know, I, th- this is um, un- unfortunate, but it's something um, that, that the Calvary chapels that I know that are concerned about confusion in the flock It's my job to disperse the confusion, give you the facts the best that I know them. I want you to know that I talked to the highest of people in Chuck's board over the last several days, knowing what I was going to do. And um, I was asked to back down from a couple things because I can't have 100% factual documentation. So I didn't go there. I could have. But everything that I've given you right now, I have documentation for. And so that you have. And um, so it's my prayer, family here at Calvary Appleton, that if you have questions and you wanna talk to me, give me a couple days to get back on my feet, I'd be more than happy to do so. And again, there's resources that are out there that are solid, Amy's website is very, very solid. And um, she posts and comments on these things as, as they unfold so it's been my prayer this morning that if you're unaware of these things now you're aware and um, a split has happened it affects us in absolutely no way shape or form Um, i'm glad i live in appleton wisconsin (laughs) in the midwest instead of southern california where there are many, many Calvary chapels that are trying to figure out what to do right now, and it's more complicated for them. Did I tell you that Brian let Chris Katana go? Did I mention that in the service? Yeah, okay, I didn't know if i not. not. Uh, yeah, he did a bad thing. He had Paul Smith speak at a conference, and that's grounds enough for removal, as far as Brian is concerned. And you guys know Chris, because he speaks here often. And so, and... Uh, Closing, my, my, my prayer is that this has taken care of any confusion that might be out there. If you hear a rumor that there's been a split in Calvary Chapel, it's true. And uh, there's guys right now that are getting together as we speak, and they really don't know. So I, I've been asking you to give these guys some prayer that they don't compromise. That the reason that Chuck picked these men is because he trusted them to stay the course. And that was his plea the last couple of years. And he was especially adamant about Reformed theology. Uh, to me, none of this is personal. And when people challenged me on that, I said, guys, this is to me about one issue, it's doctrinal. My Bible talks about Paul warning against false doctrine entering in, especially in the last days. Brian has chosen to go the seeker-sensitive model, And he has chosen to compromise with things that are absolutely black and white, especially when it comes to issues of uh, women being ordained or speaking from the pulpit. These aren't gray areas at all. They're about as black and white as you can get. I don't think I've asked for an amen all morning. Have I? Did I? Not one? Amen? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, this has been so different this morning, but... It's just sort of stuff that we know we have to take care of. And I pray that it's clear, that we can go this week and enjoy our Thanksgiving dinner, knowing that we're just going to come here next week and continue our study and teaching your word chapter by chapter and verse by verse, not compromising with uh, the Calvary Chapel distinctives. And Lord, you've told us to love on one another and follow the Acts 2 model. This is not a Calvary Chapel model. This is Acts chapter 2, where the early church held to the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship. That's doable for us, Lord. And then you promised if we do those four things, that you would add to your church daily those who are being saved. Lord, we ask that you give us the strength in these last days to finish well, and not to change course, but to stay the course in these last days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.